The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen-shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deek speaking. Everyone relax. This is Tofop. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and uh, guest Charlie Clawson for the first time, Chris Mancini from the Comedy Film Nerds. How are you, Chris? It is great to be here. Doing well. Mate, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you very much. You brought me a DVD, which I is did. nice. Mm-hmm. I think you're the first guest who's brought a gift. Really? And I've been doing this for, like, now I'm pissed off that no one else has. <laughs> like, it's made me feel mad. That's on them. Yeah. It really is. That's on every other guest that hasn't brought you something. I used to, when I used to have parties, if someone mm-hmm. really amused me, I would send them home with like one of my toys or one of my like things from my shelf. And I always did it like the carnival, you know, like if they were really good, they could pick something from the top shelf. Right, right. Like, you know, you could go home with like an original Batman doll or something. But if you were like good enough, you might like get a comic that I have two copies of. <laughs> Or a, uh, you know, one of those rubber erasers that's in the shape of an ant or right. something. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've got kids. Do you do yes. the carnivals? Do they like going to a, like a show to a carnival? Well, when you have kids, every day is a carnival. Right. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty much. It's, uh, yeah, they love, um, you know, every, theme parks and all that stuff. And that, that's actually one of the um, really great things about having kids is that you actually get to kind of relive your childhood. It's like, you know, you, all of a sudden you have a buddy who's never seen Star Wars. Right. <laughs> You know, and you could actually, and you uh, have an excuse. You can just sit down and go, "I'm going to watch Star Wars." Yeah, now we have we have to. I I would be a bad parent if we weren't going to watch. This is my equivalent (laughs) of African tribes taking their 13 year old sons down to a river, and they come back a man. Yeah, this is, (laughs) and they have to like it, and there has to be a report. Do your kids, when they watch Star Wars for the first time, do they go into that knowing, like, is, is pop culture soaked up enough that they know that Darth Vader is Luke's father? Or is that still, when a kid watches Star Wars, something that, like, are spoilers, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler for, for anyone under uh, 14. Is that <laughs> you shouldn't be listening to this anyway. Uh, do they go into that, like, you know, not knowing what's going to happen? You, you know what's interesting is that... Um, it's such a part of our culture now from everything from Lego toys to yep. um, TV shows that it's it's kind of like even without seeing it, they kind of know yep. already. It's because the kids at school talk or, or whatever. And uh, that's always an interesting thing. You're like, how, how could you not know that? Oh, wait, you're nine. Right. That's how. That's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what other exciting things do you get to do for the first time with your kids? I find that like, because I don't have any kids and I'm at mm-hmm. a point in my life where I may not have any kids. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't, I was never a person who was like, I'm not going to have kids. Right. I have just got to a point where I'm starting to think maybe I won't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> and so the things that I think of when I go, I miss out are those sort of like, Mm-hmm. Fun experiences. Like, I, I would love to go to theme parks with my kids because I like to go to theme parks now. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're, so. they're just fun. I mean, I right. always uh, I would always love to go to Disney, uh, but, 
you know, when you move to Los Angeles, you're like, oh my God, there's one like 40 minutes away. Right. Like, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania. It was yep. a huge deal to go to Florida and go to Disneyland. You're like, okay, well, I get to do that once every 10 years or whatever. But that was one of the things when you take them there for the first time or there's a new ride or, you know, they get to actually see the princesses or the characters that are like just in awe. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and, and then when you take them to like Universal and you, um, it's, it's always true to like, with your kids, you don't know exactly how much they can handle. Like, you know, right. if they want to go on a ride, I'm like, not yet, not yet. That's, that's not, not going to work. You know, so you always, there's always like a little bit of a judgment call or like, you're not going to like that or you're not ready for that or whatever. Like, like the, um, sometimes it's pretty easy. Right. Like, like if you go to Universal, they have a haunted castle uh-huh. that is terrifying. Yeah, it's if terrifying. You go in there. I mean, and, it's terrifying. Yeah, I've been you, in there. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I've been in there with my buddy yeah. and I, ran out yelling yeah. okay so yeah i don't so think now, the now, children will, will yeah. realize yeah. that freddy krueger isn't technically allowed to touch <laughs> yes, them exactly like, and uh you know so like okay nine-year-old no no you're not going in and sure enough every time you pass that haunted castle universal there are kids coming out crying right like, there's always there's always a parent like oh this is fine i i do no research and don't you know and make no judgments i just do things and like why is my kid crying hmm mm. <laughs> Yeah. All right, I'll fill them with cotton candy. <laughs> yes, That'll be fine. Right. <laughs> That'll sort out the problem. Go see SpongeBob. Yeah. Uh, how do you? Did you have a philosophy when you started parenting? Like, were you, or do you just kind of like make it up as you go? Like, were you a sort of person when you first uh, knew that you were going to have a child? Were you a person who started reading a lot of books? Did you actually? Go to I wrote classes? one. Oh, you wrote one. <laughs> I did. Because you I was like, fuck <laughs> this. I'll become an expert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, and it actually, that's actually what happened. I was, uh, and one of the reasons is because I start, started so. Far far on the other side of it like i was terrified of having a child i was like i ended up in a psychiatrist's office i was so freaked out about having kids and um one of the things is because you you know you're like well now i have to give up my life and right everything everything goes away and that's not true but that's how i felt right and i was reading the parenting books and like well nothing's really helping me or addressing this and so (laughs) i wrote one and i wrote it's called pacify me a handbook for the freaked out new dad right and uh, simon and schuster published it a couple years ago and i'm getting a ton of emails saying like you know i was freaked out too your book really helped me and and it's a comedy book but it also gives advice and it talks to that specific population of uh, guys which is most of them that are freaked out about having children that was not addressed because it was always like a uh, like a what to expect when you're expecting. There was like one chapter for a dad, which was horribly offensive. Right. Like, and basically that chapter would say to the dad, well, the best thing you can do is support the your wife. Right. And that's so like, well, no, wait. No, that's, that's not, not, that's not, not That doesn't help me at all. Right. And I'm thinking, well. That was the one bit I was yeah, guessing I yeah, probably had Yeah, to I'm do. like pretty sure I got that right. part down. I'm talking about how, you know, I need to deal with all this. And, uh, and, and it so was. So I shouldn't keep her in the cage yeah, out the back? Yeah. I was like, okay. With the word I, unclean on the top that's not what i should be doing well i'm glad i read this book (laughs) yeah fantastic it's really helped me in no way whatsoever um so i ended up writing the book and uh it actually it really helped me get through it in a therapeutic way but the the interesting thing is always that journey is like when you finally hold your baby in your arms you look at her i remember going this is what i was so scared of this tiny little baby was asleep in my arms and uh the main takeaway that i learned from the journey is that your life isn't over it just changes right and uh if if having a child doesn't change your life you're doing it wrong right (laughs) you're you're probably doing it wrong (laughs) so so and that's uh and that's kind of how I kind of got through it uh, because I started at the completely opposite end of the spectrum, so freaked out. And now, you know, I love being a dad. Uh, 
Greg Barrett talks about the idea that when he wrote, um, uh, he's just not that into you, mm-hmm. that he suddenly, you know, he was this stand-up comedian, but he suddenly became like someone that people would ask for serious life advice. Did you find that that happened to you? Because now, even though, like you said, it's a comedy book, right. but it's like full of advice and it's about your journey and some people really yeah. related to it. Did people actually start hitting you up as like a relationship expert or a fatherhood expert? That's what's so weird is like once you write a book, even if you're a comedian, you become like technically an expert and it's really it comes from the point of uh you know regular person giving you advice although i I will but i did do research for the book and you know what it's a weird side effect but it's a good one uh like i never thought like i ended up on a couple lists of uh, books to read for men with postpartum depression Mm -hmm. like things like that like where it's actually helpful uh, I wanted the book, to obviously, to be helpful and funny, but I didn't think it would be as helpful as it has right. been to people. And it's like, oh, and, and then you, when it gets back to what we do as comedians, like, this is kind of what we always wanted to do anyway. Right. We want to make people laugh, but we also want to, in a weird, almost arrogant way, to improve the people's lives. Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you are going to be arrogant about something, yeah, yeah. I think improving people's lives and making the world a better place. Yeah, that's, like, not, that's if, not too horrible to be honest, goal. we could do a little bit more with some arrogance in that direction yeah. than the random arrogance that people have to seem to have yeah. for no good reason. That's very true. Right. So it, it's, yeah, it's a side effect of it, but it's a, it's a good one because ultimately that's as entertainers is what we want to do. Right. It's interesting, isn't it, though, that, that weird thing of like, you did it and uh, Australians do it like pretty much instinctively which is try to play down the idea of like helping somebody else and and, like you know as if it's someone like even that word do-gooders you know where people say Mm -hmm. oh well they're just a do-gooder and I'm like never has a word on face value seemed like such a lovely thing to say about someone (laughs) like if you describe someone as oh Oh, they're a person who does good. Oh, right. how much do they do of it? So much that people call them a do-gooder. They must be the best person ever. Oh, no, no, no. They're someone we must hate, apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're ruining it for everyone. Oh, yeah. That's like when you call someone an intellectual. Really? It's, it's bad to be smart? Right. Is that, is that, is that a, a bad word? Or the weirdest yeah. one now is the elite. Yeah, didn't yeah, elite, elite. Mean, used to mean like when we say elite athletes, we're not like oh these right. fucking elite athletes or an elite soldier, right. like you know like a ranger. It's like what are you gonna? What is that bad to be an elite soldier? Attack force C, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I can imagine all the regular soldiers just sitting around like talking about the SAS and like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Going, I was like oh those guys, yeah. those guys don't know what's their like problem. <laughs> With all their advanced tactics. Yeah. All that horrible, that easy training that they had to go through for years and years and yeah. years and top physical and mental shape that they have to be in. What assholes, right? You know, it's it's silly. Um, uh, I, I want to talk to you about movies because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, well, one, yes. your, as we mentioned with Graham Elwood, uh, who's your partner for Comedy Film Nerds when yes. he was on the podcast just recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, firstly, you guys are doing a Kickstarter yes. at mm-hmm. the moment um, to fund uh, the next Zach Braff movie, right? Yes. That- <laughs> yeah. And then sell it for another $4 million right. after that. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're looking for money for the podcasting documentary, yes. <laughs> but if we get enough money, yeah, we're yeah. going to fund a Zach Braff movie. Yeah. yeah. Make a shitload of money yes. and then use that money to make a really good podcasting documentary. Exactly. And we're going to call it Zach Braff Presents the Veronica Mars Movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should have called yeah. it. Just to get a lot of really random yeah. funding. Uh-huh. We, uh, and, yeah, get $10 and then you just underneath a podcasting documentary. Right. <laughs> 
Maybe. Yeah. We, yeah, we made some compromises. Yeah. <laughs> but we think we'll get the money. Um, welcome to Hollywood. Uh, so y- you're doing this Kickstarter because uh, you want to make a documentary about podcasting. Earbuds, yes. the podcasting documentary yes. is what, how you can find it on Kickstarter if you want to support it. And one of the things that was so important to us is when we actually were at the uh, LA Podcast Festival, we wanted to do a proof of concept to make sure there was enough material for a podcast documentary and what the angle would be because we don't want to make a talking heads movie that just talks about podcasting, how great it is, blah, blah, blah. Because right. the, the truth Although is... Although you could call it Talking Heads and sell it to Talking Heads. Yeah, first. we should. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying there might be other ways you can fund this. Yes. <laughs> the same as it ever was. Never, yeah. <laughs> Buy giant suits, it'll be perfect. <laughs> Make up weird arm movements. You know what? I think there's a, that'll be on the extras, I think. <laughs> but what we wanted to focus on in the documentary is the connection between uh-huh. the podcaster and the fans, because there's no medium like it that does that. There's no medium that makes such a personal connection between the podcaster and fan. The the emails that we get and the uh, e- even on the other side, too, like a- as podcasters, we feel we connect with the audience in a way that we don't when we do TV or, or, or anything else. And so one of the things that the budget's a little high, I mean, for a feature film documentary, obviously 135000 is nothing. It's a shoestring. But yep. we're going to be spending a lot of that on travel because we want to see you guys, the fans. We want to go to the different places and interview you because that's the other half of the equation. It's not. It's only compelling because you have uh, hosts and fans making this connection that doesn't exist anywhere else, and that's going to be the uh, core of the documentary. I mean, since Graham was on my podcast, um, uh, you've received emails from people like in the Australian outback and stuff. You sent me photos the other day, yeah, of like yeah. a guy who's listening out, like you know, he's in an he's, iron ore mine, and yeah. like he's literally in the like in the red heart of Australia. Yes. Like he sent us photos from the jog he was on when he was yeah. listening to the yeah. episodes, mm-hmm. and it's just. You know, basically, he could be running away from a dingo that's trying to get his baby. Like, it's proper yeah. country. Yeah, with his earbuds. Yeah. Uh, and, right. and it's, I mean, I think that is the amazing thing about yes. it. I mean, that you and I are sitting here together, like, today on a piece of equipment that I bought for less than $400. Yes. And someone, like, in the all middle over of the, the world, all, all, yeah. all over the world is mm-hmm. listening to this thing. Yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable. And, uh, and that's the things that we want to show. Like, in fact, we're, you know, if we reach the funding goals, we have stretch goals to go to Japan and certain other parts of the uh of the uh, the world i mean it, it's 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 always amazes us i mean because it's not just expats you think oh it's it's you know it's an american living in germany or japan right. or whatever and it's not it's no. it's it's you know the locals <laughs> right you know oh no that, i've that had really, people yeah. like uh, i had an english teacher say oh you know we play the podcast so the kids can learn english i'm like they are gonna learn terrible english <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's exciting, mm-hmm. and I know myself um, as someone who lives overseas a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason that I've not felt as lonely and disconnected from my friends is I'm lucky enough. A lot of my friends have podcasts, or I can download right. even podcasts of radio shows. Like yes. you know, now these days I can download an Australian Breakfast like you know radio show and right. just hear the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not having to hear the songs and not having to sit through the advertisements, right. but just mm-hmm. hear the content. And you can stay connected to where you are from, you know, all around yep. the world, which is mm-hmm. is pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. And we wanted to uh, document it. And we wanted it to be done properly. And the, right. uh, the other thing we wanted to do was we want to bring more people into the fold. The, do- the podcast documentary 
is, you know, when it gets out there, it's like, oh, I didn't know this thing existed. Then yeah. they can search out the podcast. And it, uh, it, we wanted to help, I mean, this sounds silly, but we wanted to help everyone. Literally, right. you know, we make the podcast document. We wanted to help Again, podcasting. Again, another yeah. thing yeah. that you don't have to apologize for. <laughs> <laughs> like podcasting I'm so in general. sorry that we wanted to make yeah. everybody's yeah. life better. Again. It's, I don't know what's wrong with me. What the but, fuck uh, is with those do-gooders <laughs> trying to make everybody's life better? Yeah. <laughs> fuck those guys. Yeah. Obviously, I'm coming off very unlikable right, right. now. That, you know that I want to. You know, <laughs> what's the catch? What's the catch that he wants? Every hang on. So what you're saying is the people making the free entertainment will have a better life, yeah. and the people accessing the free entertainment will get more and better quality free entertainment. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah, you're so this, selfish. This makes no sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's. I mean, that that's our um, manifold goal into the documentary, and it, it it does end February 24th. So uh, listen quickly. Talk, talk me through. Um, talk me through what what the levels of like so people as graham was telling us when he was here by the way graham and i discovered something very uh, you i might be confusing you because i pronounce his name very differently to how you do Mm -hmm. uh we actually try to use many of the letters that are in the name whereas (laughs) you guys have just gone g-r-a-m that'll do that's how we say that's how we say graham (laughs) um but, uh, you can't spell Graham without ham. That's true. Well, that not that not that Graham. Yeah. <laughs> you should do a book about raising him. That's, that's your next book. <laughs> you know, when you have kids and you also have a forty-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah. We just had his dad on as a guest too. That was very enlightening. Right. So this is what I was going to say. His dad's name is William. Mm-hmm. My dad's name is Graham. Anyway, there's not much to that. Yeah. But we enjoyed that moment for at least thirty seconds backstage at a show the other night. Uh, that his dad was at. Uh, so um, uh, people can just sort of buy the download of the movie. So Because like, there might be people listening to this who, you know, who've never contributed to a Kickstarter before. Right. They're like, how mm-hmm. does it actually work? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, am I just giving my money away? Like, there's levels of things that you can sort of buy, rewards in the Kickstarter, right? In a nutshell, you're pre-buying the product. Yeah. That's really the way it's supposed to work. And it, uh, and it works Brilliantly, I really, uh, you know, I really like the platform. So if you just want to kind of help out and you don't want to buy anything, then you can do like under $25. You give like five bucks or right. whatever. But if uh, the, it starts at 25, the rewards where you get a download of the movie. And what's great about that is it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You'll get a download of the movie. There's no um, issues with shipping. And then as it goes up from there, um, you can get physical copies of the sign DVD and that we will ship all over the world. But then there's like, you know, a shipping markup, of course, because uh, um, some places are far. Right. Yeah. <laughs> from Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, they might be able to take a suitcase of DVDs yeah, yeah, if they're yeah. coming to where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. We can maybe work that out. If yeah. you're tr- visiting, that's Look, fine. Yeah. Um, if you can meet us in Tokyo, yes. <laughs> we can get you. you do, we'll meet you halfway. Yeah. And then there's, there's tiers where then it goes up to if you want to be a producer on the movie and uh, you then you will have the exact same amount of producer experience as other producers in Hollywood do. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Possibly you know, a maybe, little bit more. Maybe a little bit more. You, you, you may have listened to this and actually understood what the movie's about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you may have your own letterhead. Right. So then you're a producer. Um, so uh, it goes all the way from associate producer to uh, executive producer, but there's other cool rewards there. There's like some special limited ones like the Sideshow Network donated 10 grab bags for their comedians and podcasts over there. There's uh, These are actually almost gone. I think there's only like two or three left. Uh, a company tweaked audio donated actual earbuds that were adding into a bunch of uh, tiers and like one of them is sold out then I think there's a couple left but it goes all the way up from uh, basically $25 all the way to $10,000 so and as you were saying it's like if someone out there is listening and they're like I'd like to see that movie 
Mm-hmm. Like if that's what you're thinking right now, yeah. like you haven't got to the point where you're thinking, I want to donate or help make a movie yet. But if you're in your head right now, you're like, fuck yeah, I'd like to see a movie yeah. about podcasting mm-hmm. and how it started and where the weird places that people are listening to it are. Mm-hmm. Then the only way you're going to see that movie is if you buy a ticket for it now. Exactly. Don't wait until <laughs> someone makes it and then brings it out. You've got to buy a ticket now yeah. and then they will go and make it and you've already bought your ticket. Yeah, that's the one thing about Kickstarter is uh, you're not choosing whether or not to buy it or not. You're choosing whether or not it's going to exist. Yeah. It's for pretty much, you know, when you pre-buy, you are saying that I want this to exist and it will exist. And I think that's an amazing it is, thing. It is. Like, I mean, to be part of that, you know, I mean, I loved, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy, but I think I would have fucking loved those movies more if like, you know... You had to kickstart them? Right, if I kick... <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. I got in that movie going, I fucking helped make this happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. can you imagine what the five or $10,000 rewards would have been? That would have been awesome. You would right. have gotten like a phone call from Christian Bale or oh, something yeah. like that. I mean, I, yeah. would have, I would have sold my house right. in Sydney if there, was a, if there was like a tier where like Christian Bale would do my answering machine message. Right. Like just like, hi, you've got Will. Yeah. I would fucking love that shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that. Maybe if you kick it <laughs> enough, there's a scene where you're in the bat suit, like just a quick scene as something. they go by. Yeah, a picture with the uh, with the Batmobile, something. Christopher you know. Nolan comes out at the yeah. last press conference. He's like, "Look, if a few more people had contributed, we could have explained how Batman got back from right. that island." I mean, yeah. we could have. We just didn't get to that level. For every extra ten thousand dollars, you get a little more backstory. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just sends you extra right. scenes yeah. that they shot. <laughs> Yeah, like now oh my it already, God, that would make sense. That would honestly be a great way to fund something, though, because I mean, obviously, they don't need to with those sort of big things. Mm-hmm. But if someone told me that to help fund something, I could get three minutes of like right. the Dark Knight Rises <laughs> that never went to air, but they may that they just yeah. had to cut out mm-hmm. and they will send it to me, and it's mine to do with what I right. want. Fuck, man, yeah. that would be. And you would be the only one that had it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I would be the only one that had it. I mean, I'd probably have to queue it up on a different machine, so I'd have to have two TVs there, play the movie on one, and then stop it at that moment and go, look, here's... Here's, here's, you know, it's like, oh, Will Anderson's having a party, and we got to see what happened in Dark Knight. Right. Uh, well, that's very exciting. You've made films before, though. Like, this mm-hmm. is not your first. In fact, I, no. I, I'm guessing that's what your DVD is. That it is it's yeah. your short films? Those are my short films that have been on, like, HBO and the Sci-Fi Channel, and they have everything from uh, hit, hitmen, clowns, leprechauns, and living suits, and giant blobs. So so was your background <clears throat> film, or did you do come to comedy first, or was it about the same time? How did that work? It was the same time. I went to yep. film school at the same time I was playing local clubs in uh, Philadelphia, and then I uh, moved to L.A. and just continued in that kind of direction so even i've written a bunch of screenplays and you know there's a, a joke for uh, writers it's like so you, you know, went I, from philadelphia to uh-huh. la yep. much like the uh, famous the case of the fresh prince of bel-air right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was almost identical our trajectories <laughs> yeah you're like this show is about my yeah. life <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh a, a, and one of the things i always want to do is i always want to my first love is always writing i love uh-huh. writing and uh, you know the joke is always that well like i make a living writing for four people because you know stuff gets in development and nobody right. ever sees it and all that stuff and i've had you know all sorts of things um get really close and then you know i had one movie um that was um supposed to come out from lionsgate and in after dark that was a horror movie i uh-huh. sold and then it went to they took the movie and went to Bulgaria and uh, like it was like a heart of darkness kind of thing uh-huh. the producer that took it there like went rogue threw the script away and made this unwatchable movie and uh, the company came back to me 
and asked me to fix it for him. And I said, uh-huh. how am I going to fix this? Right. So uh, I said, okay, um, the only way I could fix this after I saw the footage is if I shine a light on it and intersplice inter- sketches of behind the scenes at a horror movie company on how a movie gets ruined. Right. So, right. And, Which, and, they, and they went, okay. Yeah, that's a great idea. So I actually, um, I took uh, Dean Haglin from the X-Files, my buddy, Mike yep. Schmidt from 40-Year-Old Boy. Uh-huh. We brought them down to... Um, Baton Rouge, and we shot all these wraparounds and all these kind of cool behind-the-scenes footage, and then there are editors that watch this horrible footage as it's coming right. back from Bulgaria, and uh, the, we retitled it Death of a Horror Movie, and, uh, but you can actually see the um, trailer of the actual horror movie. It's online right now called Asylum, so if you type that into YouTube, you can see it, because I got excited when I saw the trailer. I'm like, oh, this is great, but then right. when I saw him in the movie, I'm like, oh my God, that trailer editor is a genius. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I don't know if it'll ever get released. I'm not sure. <laughs> but somewhere, which is so funny, is there is a movie now yep. that stars um, Dean Haglin, um, Mike Schmidt, 40-year-old boy, um, Stephen Rhea from The Crying Game, oh, right. and uh, a bunch of uh, bald Bulgarian men who can barely speak English. <laughs> so it exists somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Hopefully Lionsgate will release it, so we'll see. Yeah, that's a, but I, I like that idea. I mean, I like the idea of going, well... Here's what happened, and then yeah. sort of you know turning that into something. It's interesting. Horror movies, like genre movies, like you know, it's. It, I think it's at that point now. Well, for me, anyway, as someone who loves horror movies and was mm-hmm. really excited when, I think there was a point in time where horror movies had become, you know, in the eighties and nineties, had become really, you know, it was very much your Friday the Thirteenth and your, right. you know, Halloweens mm-hmm. or whatever. They were in there like you know. Tenth sequels and mm-hmm. it becomes sort of bloated and whatever. And then I always remember when Scream came out and it kind of was like, oh my god, like it's revitalized it's funny the and genre. It's like it's, yeah, you know, it's being mm-hmm. you know, like it's being ironic about the genre and it's like pointing and it and but it works as a movie as well. Right, it still works as a horror movie. That still was the works. key. Like it wasn't like you know a spoof. And though. I watched it the other day yeah. again, like because I was like, oh, I bet this doesn't. Like you know, sometimes when you mm-hmm. go into a movie and you're like, I bet this, is, yeah. I'm not gonna. <laughs> like because also often when something's the first of that kind. And then there becomes a bunch of imitators. Sometimes you a get sick of like what was funny about the first one or smart about the first one, but b the tricks have been used so many different times that they don't seem fresh or original when you rewatch it. But for me, I I watched it again and I really, I still really enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, this. But then, of course, like you, you, you got movies like you know Shaun of the Dead and things like that that really were great comedy, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. zombie and horror movies, and it became Mm -hmm. a real thing then. Like right. And at the moment, I kind of feel like that next fresh thing in whatever that horror genre is needs to happen now because everything's about yeah, kind of everything's just the same again now. Well, what I, where I think it will happen, and I've seen attempts at this, and uh, they've been sometimes they've been successful, sometimes they haven't. Is when the horror movies cross genres, right? And that's really where you get some really innovative movies. Give like me an a, example a good, of what it means. A good example, uh, as far as an attempt, <laughs> but yep. it wasn't the best movie, was The Purge. Because right. you have a horror movie, but was it really a horror right. movie, or was it was this satire? Was it, um, you know, was it political commentary, or was it all of those things together? Yeah, and that was the or intention. Or none of them. Or none of them, exactly. <laughs> and this is where you can actually see. Well, I can see what you were going right. for, and uh, and one of the. Oh no, that's one of those movies that in the future, The Purge. Like whenever they get to a point where they want to remake a movie, right? I'd like to say someone remake The Purge exactly well. because like, I think there was so many like. 
I was really excited to see that film. Oh, so were Perhaps we. in yeah, a way yeah. that I shouldn't <laughs> Graham and I were right there with you. Right. Yeah, yeah. We were like, oh my God, this looks amazing. And there was a lot about it to like. Yes. But there was also a lot about it that was terrible. You know, the, the best, because we did reviews on it and we read other reviews on it. And I think the, the best um, way to sum it up, and we've seen this in countless reviews, is like The Purge has a lot of really great things on its mind, but not a lot to say about them. Right. <laughs> right. And that's really what happened. It's like you've got this amazing premise and this amazing setup, and then you you fall into all these um, cliches and tropes. And, right. like, you know, don't force the horror into it. You don't have to force it. It's terrifying. Your premise is terrifying. And, and if you explored the premise, like, in a, in a deeper way, yes. it would become more and more terrifying. Right. And I think maybe they've learned those lessons for the next one, because I just saw a trailer for the sequel. Um the next Purge, Purge movie. Even Purgia? Yeah, even Purgia, yeah. <laughs> Electric Purgaloo. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think um, it really ratchets up like, what if you were trapped outside uh-huh. in this world? Then yeah. now what, what the hell right. do you do? You know, so I think, uh, uh, again, I may be getting fooled twice, right. but I am now excited to see the sequel. <laughs> Purge me once, shame yeah. on me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But it does. It occurs to me that, like you know, remaking bad movies with good ideas, or even making a, a better sequel, is the yes. way to go. Rather than, because are you excited at all, or have you already seen the new RoboCop? Film? I have not already seen it. I am not excited at all because of the direction that the movie looks like it's going in, where yep. it's a straight action movie, yep. and that was not what the original RoboCop was about. No. I mean, the way it, it was... It was literally like they said, let's take the only thing that's really interesting about this film out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, let's take all... Yeah, the satire. Let's take right. all the satire out and just make it... Mm, that's not the point of the movie. So I don't know. Uh, I'm reserving a judgment because maybe it's such a good action movie that you don't right. miss it. Uh-huh. But I don't think it was. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> what, but yeah. also, it's not like you couldn't make a, like a, a, a RoboCop-ish movie if you just wanted to make a good... There's no reason for it to be RoboCop. Exactly. You know I mean? there, like, there's no point. Like, like, just, okay, make a futuristic cop movie right. that, you know, the, that has robots in it. That's all you have to do. It's, I it's, mean, seriously, the TV series <laughs> Almost Human is basically RoboCop. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and it's not like, too, there isn't fertile ground for other stories. Like, uh, if you're a comic book guy, so you know that... Uh, Frank Miller did an amazing crossover of RoboCop versus Terminator, right. which would make an amazing movie. Right. And uh, there, so there's there's more stories to tell in these worlds or in these genres. And hey, um, tell them, right? You, you know, <laughs> that's all. You just just do a little more digging and uh, stop talking about brand equity mm. and remake and all this these these uh, these buzzwords the producers throw around. I'm like, no, just go back to the content. It's there. You know, you can make something compelling. I mean, for the record, though. If Earbuds, the podcasting documentary, <laughs> is a massive success, yeah. it's going to be a franchise, right? Absolutely, yeah. There will be sequels, and right. there will be um, they will involve Legos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you seen the yes. Lego movie? Yeah, I have seen the Lego. Now, movie. Now I've heard good things. I, what What was your thoughts? You know what? I was uh, I went in with an open mind, thinking, okay, well, let's see what maybe it's being overhyped or whatever. And you know what? It's fantastic. Okay, <laughs> it really is. I'm it, glad it's to great. Hear that. Yeah, it really is great. My kids loved it. I loved it, and. What it shows, and this is in a really good way, is that you could take something so massively corporate right. and clearly a product placement and a money grab and make something that's actually almost an anti-corporate, entertaining movie. And right. it's 
unbelievably compelling in a way that it doesn't even you'd never expect it to be like right. even the third act uh but so what the best way i could <laughs> describe it is that they've gone after that bill hicks anti-marketing yeah <laughs> it really it, it feels that way it, it, in a you know in a couple of scenes and you could tell that there's not only a love for Legos because they literally get into like almost like the history and the instructions and all the different types of Legos right. to the point the where mythology. yeah right. it's weird like I didn't even think they're what they would go into that depth and like like if like there's no one that could make a better Lego movie <laughs> I really that's the best way to describe it because you've got filmmakers that not only loved Legos and had a, a, an mm-hmm. affinity for them but they also loved movie making and right. knew that you can't just throw a bunch of Legos in a computer and make something compelling you actually have to make a movie and that's what they did so I highly recommend it even if you don't have children right and if you just if you ever played with a Lego in your life you will be entertained by this movie. and 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 do they call it Lego in the movie like is it referred to as Lego uh, like is the brand name Lego use like I know it's called the Lego movie right but mm-hmm. the, do characters actually refer themselves as Lego or use the term Lego in the movie you know what that's a good question I'm trying to think especially uh, I don't want to spoil anything but uh, towards the end I don't know if the actual word Lego is used by any of the characters that's all right somebody send an email right I'd like to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go and say it that'll be that'll be a question I for actually me. don't remember yeah Right, it's interesting, but it's I highly recommend it. It's it's a great movie, and it's one of those few movies that it's like a great family movie where your kids can enjoy it, and then as a parent, you're not wanting to you know gouge your eyes out halfway through. Did you have a worst movie of 2013? Was there something that you saw that was just so terrible that you're like, that's definitely the worst film I saw? Well, um, we always see horrible movies, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, it's always too like ones that you may not necessarily expect, and I will say that it's been a very strong year. 2013 was a really strong year for movies. So that's what you feel. Like, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I think mm-hmm. I saw more movies that I thought were very good mm-hmm. than I can remember. Like I, I saw like you know I probably saw 20 movies this year that mm-hmm. I would consider to be good or very good, which yeah. I think is a lot. It's true. It's but very. I'm not true. sure that I walked away from the year going. I saw a couple of things this year that will go on my list of favorite movies of all time or anything. You know, um, there there was a lot that I saw. Like, there was a couple, like, really polarizing movies, which I found interesting. Like, uh, any movie like uh, uh, Blue Jasmine. This is before, obviously, all the controversy yep. with Woody Allen. But also, like, Her. A lot of people hated Her. And it was one of those movies, and a lot of his movies are like that, um, you know, that you're either on board or you're not. Yeah. And at the beginning, if you're on board, you'll go with him. Right. And if you're not on board, there's nothing in this movie that's going to change your mind. Right. But also, you've got to have a look at yourself that if you're not on board, like in a movie like that, why did you fucking go to that movie? Yeah. (laughs) What did you expect? I mean, you know, it's all there in the poster and the the preview. You know exactly what's going to happen. Spike Jones just walks out and does the Babe Ruth, points to the fucking stand and says, well, that's where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've I found with his movies, too, um, I've had the same reaction on different movies. Like, someone I'm, I'm on board with, and other ones I'm completely not on board with, and oh, yeah. he never gets me back. Interesting. Um, but this is the one of the ones that I was definitely on board with. The one that I thought um, that really was... It's getting mixed reviews, so it's not like I'm the, the lone By voice. By the way, if you donate bad. $3 million to the <laughs> Her 2 Kickstarter, I will throw you, show you the three minutes of footage of Joaquin Phoenix fucking the phone. That's the... <laughs> I shot it, and I didn't put it in the final movie, and I think it was a good call, but if you've got enough money, you can yeah. have that three minutes. And it will be worth your time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can sell it to Scarlett Johansson for six million. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I think it was um, the All is Lost movie with uh, Robert Redford stuck on the boat. And it was one of those movies that, like, okay, we've already had Life of Pi, which right. was done brilliantly. Uh-huh. And this was the kind of movie that is, it was like, uh, you know, some of the selling points were like, there's only 30 pages in the script. It's, a, you know, it's right. a movie. They were just watching him. And you know what the script needed? More pages. More pages. Yeah. I'm not sure this is a whole movie. Yeah. yeah. And it I really... feel like we've started sh- shooting in a third done movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really was. It was one of those weird movies where you're like, Here's a brilliant actor right. um, who's boring me for an hour and a half um, and doing, apparently, as I was reading online, all the wrong things on a boat. Right. So, especially, like, as, you know, when you have a hole in the boat at the beginning, it just uh-huh. there's a hole that he's patching up. And then I'm thinking, why is all the power? Why does none of the radios, like, nothing, like, made a lot of sense. Like, wouldn't you have a battery backup right. and all this stuff? And, okay, you have a hole in the boat. You No one knows where you are. You have sailing on your life. And now you're just kind of making a nice pasta dish. Right. You know? and you're just he makes sitting pasta? Eating, yeah, he makes pasta, a nice pasta dish. And I realized, oh, you're trying to get to 90 minutes. Right. I got it. I got it. You're trying to get to 90 minutes. I, well, and, he's like, and, uh, <laughs> they're like, this is only 30 pages. Yeah. I'll make pasta. Yeah. I make pasta at home. It takes 40 minutes. Yeah. We can definitely. Yeah. And we're going to use Paul Newman's sauce. Right. <laughs> so, and, and then at the end, we'll both get off the boat and jump off a cliff. Yeah. Me, and the, me and the sauce. So it was uh, it was a very overrated movie. And I saw that. That's interesting because I was yeah. on a plane. This is where I catch up on a lot of those sort of films that mm-hmm. um, if I've missed something at the. Because I like to see everything yeah. if I can, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Us too. <laughs> right. And, uh, but I don't even have a podcast. Yeah. Well, I have our podcast, but I don't have a... They, the movies come up on the podcast. Sure, of course. Uh, but I try to catch up on some things that I, I didn't want to go to the movies to see when I do the long flights back and forward to Australia. Yeah, yeah. So on the way how many, home... How many hours is that, by the 14. way? 14. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's, you know what? It sounds like a lot, but it, I do it five or six times a year. So that's 12, you know, legs mm-hmm. of that a year. And mm-hmm. you really get used to it. You know, you, uh-huh. have, you have a sleep, you watch some movies, someone brings you some food, you have a drink. It's like... And it's done. It's done, yeah. right? <laughs> so, um, and, and if you do want to catch up on movies, it's just a great way to like, right, you know, sure. sit there and half sleep and, you know, watch mm-hmm. a movie that you... You know, get, well, that's that's a good through, one to have pain and gain, or you know, what those? Those are good ones to half sleep through. You know, if you want to see, you know, uh, and there, <laughs> an there is there is something about those style of movies that, like, I mean, for example, I watched the um, on the last trip home. I watched uh, Lee Daniels, the Butler, mm-hmm. uh, which is a movie that I never would have gone to the movies to see. But right. like, you know, on a plane, mm-hmm. like, you know, it was just like, oh well, that passed an hour and a half, and I feel yep. like I learned a little bit about, about you know, mm-hmm. okay. Um, I watched the Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, and um, oh god, uh, you oh know, James, James Gandolfini. Gandolfini. It mm-hmm. was like one of his last movies. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what the name of that was. Almost perfect or almost uh, second. Ch- Do you know what the? I know which called? one you're talking about. And no. I don't know why I'm blanking on it right now. I keep because wanting to I, say because I said yeah. words. <laughs> yeah, it is the thing that will confuse you. <laughs> I, I keep wanting to say say anything, but that's the John Cusack movie. Yeah, it's not that. It's, yeah, it's a remake. It's a scene by scene remake of the John Cusack. <laughs> Movie, but starring James Gandolfini, yeah. <laughs> that would be a great way to do it. Um, it was you don't have an intern on a enough uh, said. Google? Enough said. Enough yes. said was that I watched uh, Last Vegas. Did you say Last? No, I've not seen Last Vegas yet. But I will say it's like though, the Hangover Twenty. Like it- <laughs> Uh, you know, fans have actually emailed saying, you know, it's not as bad as people were saying it was. <laughs> you know what? It's not as bad as people were saying it yeah. was, but people were saying it was pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so It's so, yeah, fine. It's you know all what? relative. I, yeah. I actually think, to be honest, I, f- I found it more enjoyable than any of the Hangover films, but I wasn't a fan of those films. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
Um, I also watched, uh, what else did I watch? Uh, Rush on the plane. Oh, Rush, yeah, did you yeah. see that? That was the, uh, the race car movie. The race car movie mm-hmm. with Thor. With Thor, yes. And uh, he's an Australian, so I'd like to get involved mm-hmm. and support the Aussies. <laughs> uh, I didn't mind that either. Again, like nice movie to see on a plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one that I... Uh, These are all perfect airplane movies. Right. But the one that wasn't a perfect airplane movie, the one that so I didn't watch two things. Well, I tried to I tried to get through the Lone Ranger again. I've now tried four times to get through wow. it. I can't get through it. I, I don't. And know. I've watched a lot of terrible movies in my life. I don't understand why after the first time you'd try three more times. You know what? Because I I knew it was terrible, but I was mm-hmm. like, oh well, I can watch it in installments. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I'll get through it in installments. It can't be that bad. It is that bad. <laughs> I know it's, ter- it is. it's unwatchable. Yeah. It, it really is, is. unwatchable. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen a. Film. I, I described it as everyone on the set got to direct one scene, oh. <laughs> and that's. I mean, but it, if that's if that was the premise, like if yeah. they came out of the start yeah. and said, "Look, they delivered like your horror film. Yeah, they've delivered something that is unwatchable. Yeah. So what we've done is we've let everybody at least edit their own scene. Right. Everyone gets to edit their own scene, and that's yeah. the premise of the movie. Because it's literally ten different movies going on at the same time, and it varies from scene to scene. And none of them are good. No, no. It's like if you t- if you cut together ten horrible movies, um, everyone everywhere from horror to comedy to a western. That's what you would. have. And, and a little bit of racism. A little bit, a yeah. Little bit. Oh, man, it was terrible. So I didn't get through that, and I didn't watch the boat movie because for that same reason, I was like, even on an airplane, yeah, no, I just yeah. don't feel like a man on a boat without a fucking animated tiger is anything yeah. that I want to get involved <laughs> with. <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't even have a fucking volleyball or anything oh to talk God. to, right? It was, it was like you kept expecting, well, there's going to be something. And then you're like, okay, well, at least let's get to the cliches if you're stuck on the ocean. And then, you, sure enough, you get to them. Right. What, what happens? A storm. Uh, okay, yeah, storm. Well, what definitely el- a storm. What else is going to happen? Well, these pasta's going to spill <laughs> in the storm for a start. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, and, uh, that's what, a disaster. What are the two things you see in every single Lost at Sea movie? Uh, you get a storm. Okay, you get a storm. And, and uh, is there a shark? Yes, right. there are sharks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and there are, there are sharks, exactly. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, I would have enjoyed the movie if he made the pasta but then befriended the pasta like Wilson the volleyball and that was the rest of the movie or if him he talking fe- to a bowl of spaghetti yes. I, I would have loved that as well that would have been more compelling or he fed the shark fed the shark pasta right. and they became friends <laughs> something like that and then the shark you know he he, he towed the raft into a uh, dock um, the, the, the movie that I did not watch on the plane, uh, out of respect for everyone involved in the movie. Do you was have a- Cannonball Run. No. So, <laughs> I might even let you have a guess at this. Uh, it was a movie that came out this year. It's a movie that has been... Uh, it's up for a bunch of awards. It'll be a chance come the Oscars. It is a very well-regarded film. You're talking about and 12 Years a Slave? No. I No. Uh, but the good guess. Something that I wanted to see at the movies, but uh-huh. I happened to be, it was out here when I was at home and it wasn't, you know, whatever, like I just didn't get to see it. But mm. a movie I've been desperate to see and they're re-screening at the moment and I've been trying to go and see and haven't had a chance. And it's there on the movie screen in my little armrest for me to watch on the way home. And I refused to watch it. What movie was that, Chris? Gravity. Mancini? Gravity. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is watching Gravity? Oh, my God. On the tiny screen. People are like, oh, no, I'm going to save it to watch on my phone. Yeah. I feel like that's the... To really... I watched Gravity on my iPod Nano yeah. and I did not enjoy it at all. How can I go the exact opposite of the filmmaker's intention? <laughs> 
I will watch this beautiful, sprawling movie meant to be seen in 3D on the smallest screen possible. Like a movie that people say, oh, we really do appreciate it. You want to see it on an IMAX? Yes. Like, you know, oh, no, 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 on the plane. I'll just yeah. catch it. <laughs> the fact that I'm eating a meal while I'm watching, that won't interrupt my no, no. enjoyment I, I, of this. I can right? still enjoy every every minute of that uh, right. movie. And, I even saw that movie uh, not just in 3D. They have this new sound system called uh, Dolby Atmos. Okay. So, and, and it has extra speakers in the theater, and the uh, the sound is even crisper. Uh, at the beginning, when you hear the chatter from um, the, uh, the uh, mission control, I actually thought somebody had left their phone on behind me. Wow. Like, I was like, why don't they just turn their phone off? And it was... Uh, and why, are out, on, why are they on their phone to NASA? Yeah, and why are they talking, <laughs> yeah, why are they talking about reentry? I... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, and then I realized, like, oh my god! But that's how subtle and amazing even the sound was—the right. the way it just—it started like quiet, and then it slowly picked up, and it was just everything about that movie was made for, I think, with the love of the movie. Uh, even just not just the genre, just uh, film, the history of film, everything from a love and a respect for the movie goer, a- and it was just amazing from start to finish. Where not only was techniques in like literally invented to shoot this movie, but also there was a lot of attention on the story and the characters, and it just made this amazing package. And uh, the other thing is it didn't overstay its welcome. It was a 90-minute movie and uh, uh it was it was it was a great movie for if you if anyone loves movies see that movie even if you don't love movies see that movie if you give three million dollars to the gravity 2 <laughs> kickstarter you can actually float by in yes. space <laughs> in the sequel you can add you can build your own space station right. out of lego <laughs> and add it to the movie <laughs> um yeah it's it's i mean i again as i mentioned i haven't seen it and it sounds amazing and i really want to see it and it's still playing in the theaters it's so weird to yeah. me that that like I and mean, 3D. I, I understand that obviously you sell every movie. Like you know, Avatar was also on planes, and again, not a yes. movie that I imagine is the best. And I guess it's for people who've seen. You know what else with Avatar? Not the best movie to see in a movie theater right. either. <laughs> <laughs> well, Avatar <laughs> is another movie that goes into my Lone Ranger category of started and never completed. I tried to watch Avatar, and I'm not. That's not really my sort of thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Plus, like. I just said, this is a very un-Australian thing to say, because I know that once you go overseas, you're meant to, you know, like everything that's Australian and support everything that's Australian. (laughs) You know, I support our troops, but here's the thing. I don't still, I don't have to buy a ticket to a Sam Worthington film. I don't, you know, he's doing fine. No one, James Cameron doesn't need my cash, neither does Sam Worthington. They're they're doing okay. Yeah, Yeah, they're doing fine. And uh, now they've, James Cameron keeps threatening that it's going to be a whole universe with sequels and other projects and different mediums and stuff. We haven't seen anything yet, but uh, uh, I'm sure it's being worked on. And that was... That was the Sam kind of- Worthington would be kind of hoping it it's worked on before he's an old fat man, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I can't do another Clash of the Titans. Right. Come on, please. Come on, Just, please. <laughs> there has to be another Avatar in the future somewhere where half of the time I only have to do a voice. It's interesting. Has, <laughs> he, has he made anything good? You'd be out of, if the, is there anything good that Sam Worthington's been in? Because obviously he's been in a bunch of films that have done well and he's doing well for himself. You but- know what's a fascinating thing about Sam Worthington is he puts in real really enthusiastic performances uh-huh. in terrible movies. Right. <laughs> like, he doesn't phone it in. No. A- and and uh, in Australia, before he came yeah. overseas, he was regarded... And one of the things that I always laugh at, because you see him on talk shows, and very smartly, he's understood mm-hmm. that in America, there's still this sort of 
you know, idea of Australia that comes from Crocodile Dundee. You right. Know? And he, <laughs> sure. he got that. And, mm-hmm. and and I think in some ways very cynically, but like, mm-hmm. but in other ways, like very cleverly, he got that when he came over. He would go on talk shows and you'd see him, he'd be like, oh yeah, well, I was just uh, helping one of my mates move and I was like sleeping on his couch because I was like, in between jobs and I, you know, I'm just pretty Aussie. And then Jim rang, James Cameron. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> I said, look, Jim, we don't have much time on this big ball of mud, but I've got like these, and it was like such a, you know, poor man's Russell Crowe impersonation. Right, but it, right. people were eating it up. Like, yeah, right. yeah. It was very funny to Australians because Firstly, because um, he used to he'd tell this story about going to acting school to to mm-hmm. NIDA. Oh, I was just, uh, I was just, and NIDA's like all the best actors who have come out of Australia have gone through NIDA. It's like the most prestigious acting school in Australia. Uh-huh. Oh, I was just there. My mate was like rehearsing, and they said you should come in and have a crack. And I went in and I had a crack. Shut up! You have to prepare two things. Like mm-hmm. one of them has to be a Shakespeare. Like it's not like you stumble <laughs> into the fucking. You not know, just show up. It's not like a commercial audition Fuck, for like know, Jiffy mates, peanut to butter be or not to fucking be. I don't know. I'm fucking <laughs> helping my mate move a fucking couch. You know, <laughs> like, but. Also, he was. One I just of, went in for a sandwich. I right. didn't know it was an actor studio. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I just had a mate called Yorick. I was, I was, saying, I was asking where he was. Um, also, he was one of the most high, highly regarded actors in Australia. He did a bunch of really good things and mm-hmm. did fantastic performances in good things. But and you can cut- tell he tried to bring that over right. to these vapid projects that he was being offered. Nothing yeah. good. Like, nothing good. You know, even like that. I had a little. I didn't have high hopes, but I would say mediocre hopes for uh, that Terminator: Rise of the Machines movie. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, that's there's got to be something here that's Christian really compelling. Bales in it. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, felt like it yeah. was going to be okay. <laughs> something. And uh, it had some great Transformers in it. Right, it did, <laughs> especially with the motorcycles coming down that giant robot. I was like, oh yeah, that's yeah. so cool. And uh, but ultimately, it just kind of fell apart. And but you saw Sam Worthington, you're like, oh, he's he's taking this very seriously, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. you know. And that's the kind of actor that you watch, and you're like, well, can't somebody give him a just better? Just give him something. Yeah, just good. give him something good. So what I think yeah. will happen, like a lot of these actors, uh, because they they figure that out, they become stealth producers, and what they do, they start searching out their own material, uh-huh. attaches producers, and then have to try to get it made themselves right. and on their own. So I think that's probably what's going to happen, have to happen with Mr. Sam Worthington. So if you give $30 to yeah. Sam Worthington <laughs> Kickstarter, you can help him move a couch with yeah, the mate. Yes. <laughs> and become a producer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Um, you went, so you started directing films. You made a bunch of short films. Yes, you mm-hmm. made movies, and and then so it, when the podcast documentary happens, will the idea be that you will sort of direct the film? Is that what? No, is happening? actually, what we're doing is um, we have a couple films like that we have kind of planned out. The first one is the Kickstarter documentary, uh-huh. and Graham has more experience in documentary, so I'm going to executive produce it, and Graham is going to direct it, and then depending on how much money we raise. We've already talked to other documentary producers and editors, like uh, the team from Spinning Plates, who we're friends with, which is an amazing documentary mm-hmm. uh, of coming on board as well. Like we're gonna, you know, we we as filmmakers, we have the philosophy either we're gonna do it right or just not do it. Yeah, and that's uh, so. Graham will direct this one, and then. We're working on actually a, a fantasy action movie with another company that we have in development, right. and then I'll direct that one. Okay, so, cool. so we're the the goal of comedy film nerds is always to criticize and create. 
You know, we right. talk about movies, but then we make our own. And then Graham and I will pretty much take turns and swap uh, either directing and producing duties. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like an unrelated Coen Brothers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we won't. Uh, we will, there won't. There'll never be a, uh, a double bill director. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely be taking turns. And it just makes things easier. I mean, uh-huh. really, it's the directors of like, you know, to have, you can't really have two CEOs. It's right. really, you need, you need one person ultimately to have that final say on the vision of the, of the film and that's the really I think the way it works the only way it really works with multiple directors is the Coen brothers where they have that shorthand and the say they share the vision and let's face it they're brothers right. so you know they get they've been working very closely together for many years so um, tell me when like and again it's probably you know more a question for Graham but something that you can probably answer mm-hmm. is that when you're making a documentary like you know say about podcasting but if if you were going to go, I imagine these are conversations that you guys have had already, which is, do you go in with like a very open idea of what it is that you're trying to show and then let the story tell itself? Or do you go in with some preconceived ideas of like, here are definitely like, you know, this here's a storyline or a through line or whatever that we think will make a movie work. Like I'm fascinated by the process of how that actually happens. The, the short answer is yes. Yes. You kind of do all of those, <laughs> those yeah. things. Which but, I guess is probably, yeah, you're right. But, but at the same time, it's like if you're on a limited budget and a shoestring and a very limited right. schedule, you have to have a plan you can't of just where shoot kind the shit you want to go. And, say what happens. and what, what mainly you want to do is you have a plan going in, but if something presents itself, you have the flexibility of mm-hmm. following that uh, divergent, even if it's a divergent path that, uh, might be very, very compelling. Like, to give you an example, is for the doc- the podcast documentary, is uh, we know what our theme and our core is, and that's the relationship between the podcaster and fans. Now, mm. where that takes us as the fans open up and tell their stories, we don't know yet because we haven't started recording those yet. Right. So so we have that plan, but we're... So uh, we're- what Chris is saying, ha- if you fuck someone that you met through a podcast... <laughs> Send him an email. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be, be a good racy bit of it. We want yeah. relationships that are de- developed <laughs> through podcasts. Well, one of the things when we go to New York is we're going to interview uh, um, Keith and the girl. Right. Because Keith actually married a listener. Oh, is that right? He did. Yeah. He married a, a I did fan. not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh. uh, that's one of the things we definitely want to explore. And they're, they're crazy. We love those guys. Yeah. Very, very funny so. podcast. If people mm-hmm. haven't checked them out. Mm-hmm. Uh and so what else? So obviously you've got all these film things. You've got the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing, like I've, you've been listening lately, you've been doing a few live shows of the podcast as well. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't tour as much uh, as, as a stand-up as I used to, uh, but I still get out there occasionally. I do like the Vegas and the Tahoes. I was just in Palm Springs a little bit. But I find uh, the most fun that I have is to go on the road with Graham and where right. we do a live podcast. I find that so much fun. Um, you know, I still like doing stand-up, but I just find this new format and even this new live show format that we're all doing is is a lot of fun. And also, it like it takes the pressure off in a in a way, and it also makes it a little more fun and creative because you're not repeating like a set list and that you you know you've rehearsed and you have to do and you have to get every single laugh where it needs to be whereas you're up there with some friends you're hanging out you're talking you're riffing and to me it's well, a little more creating. freeing yeah but like yeah. that's what you're doing uh-huh. you're creating on the spot right like it's the reason that 
people for years have loved improv shows. Right. And like, even though sometimes like, you know, stand-ups can be a bit cynical about some mm. improv because there's like some tricks to improv as well. Sure, but, of course. But the, the reason that it works mm. is there's mm. so much magic to even right. when an audience thinks that, so, like it's why crowd work works. Yeah, because yeah, Because exactly. people like the idea that mm-hmm. something is being made up on that spot and being created right then and they're the people who got to see it created. They might not be the only people who ever hear it, right. but they're the people who got to see it be created. It's completely organic. And yeah. that's like a personal thing for me. Like I know there's there's plenty of stand-ups that just they that's the one thing they absolutely love is getting up there on their own and going through the routine and interacting with the crowd. And uh, just for me personally, I actually like this format a little better. Right. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So did you were you a fan of podcasts before you started a podcast? Uh, no. That's what was so weird. Like when we started Comedy Film Nerds, it wasn't a podcast. Right. It was a, a website. website. Yeah. And we yeah. had reviews and we got many emails. Love your content. Your site is broken and it doesn't work. Right. And uh, websites are hard. Because websites are you hard. You constantly yes. maintain them. Exactly. So. It takes heaps longer to type something <laughs> yeah. that you have to have really thought about <laughs> yeah. than just say something and work out what you're talking about halfway it, through the sentence. It was it was so <laughs> weird. It was, And that's exactly what happened. And then it was like so hard. Then it would crash and right. go down. We had to have it rebuilt and all that stuff and then we kind of added the podcast to it and it became like um then it became like instead of the podcast kind of supporting the site the site started supporting the podcast it actually it went and which is fine we always wanted project became the yeah yeah the main the main main, (laughs) yeah the main focus and uh, uh when we started out just like everyone else is we didn't know what we were doing and if you listen to the old episodes the sound is off it's coming Uh out of one earbud it's literally like even we couldn't get that down right and then every time we would fix something something else would go out like we just learned how to use the software and then the mic cables broke you know, something right. like that. And then a I mean, I think there's out. nothing Every- more fascinating about the history of podcasting than hearing, and you can hear it, and you can hear it on this podcast like a lot, right. but hearing people who have spent their entire life, like they've chosen the career, like they've chosen talking yeah. because they're no good at making things work. <laughs> you know, they're no good at working out how to edit something, or like put something on the internet or work out the right microphones or whatever. Right. And you've right. had to hear people. Like it's like the, it's like basically just hearing monkeys first find tools, right? Like because it's like quick, they're running away from the monolith, right? <laughs> and we're just like asking each other, like, yeah, like what do we do? What I do don't we know. Do? What, what do, do you do? do? Yeah. And uh, so what we ended up doing? I started doing other people's podcasts just to like look at their setup. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking secret photos. Yeah, yeah like, oh, well, that's how they, they're setting their microphone right. inputs. Okay. And uh, we ended up getting help from the fans. They were right. like, here's, what, here's the software you have to do. Here's you know, what you have to do. And then this is something that, you know, we had a resource that we didn't use because we were dumb and didn't think of it. From our filmmaking experience, we know audio engineers. Right. <laughs> so right. finally, we just sit down. Why don't, like, why don't we just call Dave? You know, so we called our uh, buddy that I've known for years and years and years. I told him what board we were using, and he took an hour, walked us through the entire thing, and told us how to set it. Right. And we have not moved a knob since. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that um, Dave Anthony was over here uh, the other day recording an episode that people will hear this weekend for the one-year anniversary of FOFOP. Uh, oh, I should mention this while we're here. We have the one-year anniversary T-shirts, which are the Dave Anthony Guest Charlie number one T-shirts with Charlie's face being pulled apart. They're awesome, James. Falsdite did such a good job on those. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned on the Graham Elwood uh, podcast, our contribution from this podcast is we're giving all the uh, money that we make from the T-shirts that go up this weekend uh, to the podcasting documentary. So 
I know that people are hopefully going to buy them anyway for the anniversary. So now you've got like an extra special, you know, reason to do that. And we can make our little contribution uh, to that as well. But um, well, thank you, Will. D- That's Dave, really nice. Dave and I were watching um, a television here the other night and he, it's a new television and it needs mm. to be calibrated apparently. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I see. I, I did not know that. <laughs> I've not bought a television since <laughs> having to calibrate your television yeah. was a thing. Right. I'm still not even sure what that thing is. But I had noticed that it looked a bit weird. Like when I was watching sports, it looked unreal but when I'm right. watching like when I was watching True Detective it looked like a soap opera and I was like I'm sure this is the television not the way that they've yes. shot this they're not shooting it on beta SP right <laughs> <laughs> but it's like one of those things and then so he just got a friend to you know shoot me an email and tell me what to do and of course now I can just fix it all myself but I think that a lot of the time you know we, we don't understand how to do that like so the technology has got easier, I think, when it's the more people who are doing podcasts and the more people who want easy yes. access into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, nowadays, like you're looking at what I record on. I'm just recording on the Zoom that I record my shows on when I'm doing stand-up. Right. Two microphones. Mm-hmm. You know, I put it pretty much straight into the computer, unedited, and it goes out. Mm-hmm. And people seem to be reasonably happy with that. Yes. It's like, <laughs> you know, it sounds okay, you know. It's in both ears. Right. <laughs> yeah. Most weeks I re- remember to turn on the microphones. <laughs> Not all, not all weeks, but and uh, it probably because you're going into the Zoom, it probably it helps you with the levels and everything like it's that. Fantastic, yeah, yeah. like it's mm-hmm. been, it is really simple. Like you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to overcomplicate it, right? Um, in fact, I uh, I have another podcast that I, I've been doing where I don't even have like theme music or anything. It, mm-hmm. Literally, I just start talking at the start. No one really seems to have complained. About <laughs> and it's done. It's done. But like yeah. you know, we're fine. We don't have to skip through thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, the the way the new TVs look is infuriating to me. When I go to somebody's house with like a new TV or something, and everything looks like that soap opera mm-hmm. look, it, it just and I can tell I can tell everyone who's ever uh, shot something is going, "Why are they doing this?" Because right. that's not how they're supposed to look. Everything from films to um, television that have supposed to have that nice warm kind of film-like feel to it even if it's shot on video it's not right. supposed to look like that no <laughs> you know what those people have to do calibrate, calibrate. TVs, exactly <laughs> i don't i don't know any more about yeah. it than that. but i've heard that yes. calibrating it will be makes helpful. a big difference yeah yeah I, I weirdly enough when my tv got installed they didn't explain anything to me like so it was like yeah, I bought the TV, I got the TV. And so I've got a bunch of instruction books sitting next to the TV where I'm sure I could have worked out a lot of this myself. Well, but it, when you open up the TV and turn it on, you shouldn't have to. That's right. the whole point. It's like it should look the way it's supposed to look. Like, well, I agree with that. The person that makes right. the content, uh, when you buy a TV, it should look like that when you turn it on. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's all that should happen. That's all that should happen. No, I agree with you. That's why people like Apple stuff so much because mm-hmm. basically you push the button. Like if you wanted to put something in, I remember being at a Microsoft thing, a gig that I was hosting for them, mm-hmm. and they were all mocking the fact that on Apple, when you wanted to drag, people who used Apple were so stupid that when you wanted to put something in the trash, you dragged it into a bin that looked like a trash can. I was like, no, that's exactly yes. what I want. <laughs> I want to be able to look at it and stare at the diagrams and go, <laughs> go oh yeah, that's how it should oh, that work. One's, that yeah. one's got yeah. photos on it. I yeah. bet that's where my photos are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that one that it looks like a trash can. I wonder what that does. Yeah, yeah. right. I, I probably I should put all my vital documents in the one that looks like a trash can, right? I don't fucking know. Oh my god. Um, yeah, are you like because you studied film? I guess you have some technical savvy though. Like, I mean, they, they teach you those sort of things, right? Well, it's uh, I'm 
uh, it's been a while since I've been to film school, and this is dating myself, as we actually used actual film. Oh, okay. You know, when we actually... No, no, well, that's not when, really... When we shot it, right. and then we actually had to have it go to the lab to get right. developed, and um, the thing... The thing <laughs> okay, that's dating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it it crazy. I mean, and... Uh, because uh, my film school had the only la- film lab actually in Philadelphia. So right. all the other film schools would actually have to come to our school, Temple University, to drop off and get it, everything converted. But the thing that was the biggest handicap to that is you have no idea whether you got a shot or not. Right. You know, until the footage came back. Whereas, you know, with playback now and shooting on video, it's like it's so much easier. You could literally just already pull it up on the hard drive. It's already being digitized as you're shooting it. So it, I mean, that a, does change you know, filmmaking as well, though, doesn't incredibly, it? Incredibly, yeah. I remember, too, and, this, the, and I, I think, though, this was more of the teacher technique, teaching us the uh, importance of editing, because even when I was in film school, they didn't really edit like this anymore. We literally would uh, take the film and have uh, razor blades and cut them and, like, splice the film oh, together, right. uh, and then, you know, on the steam backs and whatever. But the, the, the thing that it did is it not necessarily taught you that technique, but it taught you the importance of editing. Right. Like, if you have to put this much work into one cut, you really have to think about what you're doing. Now, this will sound like a weird thing to say for someone who never edits this podcast. <laughs> no, editing is, like, I, I, I bang on about this all the time. The thing that often I think about films is, like... Uh, when I say editing, I think that directors who have too much control over, you know, when directors get to that point where no one will tell them what to cut out of their movies, right. their movies normally get worse. And like, they get longer. Right. Longer and just yeah. like, unnecessary Like, like sometimes, sense. you know, it's a, it's a marketing thing like, oh, this is the director's cut. And right. Like, mm, I kind of want to see the editor's cut. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to see what the editor did with it, not, you yeah, know, this bloated a, thing the, the, that uh, has a thousand extra scenes. There's a few movies where I would definitely buy if they brought out, like, you know, you've, you've seen the director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> now see the editor's cut yeah, of it, movies. Yeah. Man, like if I could see an editor's cut of This Is 40... Yeah. Like, I, I think there's a good movie in there. King like, Kong, Wolf of Wall Street. Right. You could just keep going and going and going. The yeah. editor series. Yeah, We've yeah. got the best editors <laughs> in the world to re-edit these movies yeah, yeah. down to what they should have been. Wow, that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah All right, think, well, let's uh, yeah, finish on that then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that. Always, always good know, to finish on Why doesn't idea. A&E, somebody do that? Or right. <laughs> IFC, somebody, we'll get on that. It. We'll pitch If you're listening, uh, <laughs> we'll have a meeting. I'll direct that one because the other boys are busy on their projects but I, I enjoy that we were talking about the rug uh, yeah. we had to stop for a second because my card was full um, this rug uh, because uh, I'm still I'm in a brand new apartment and uh, I still don't have enough stuff on the wall and so there's a little bit of you know just echo and bounce in here so like mm-hmm. I put the rug on the table essentially firstly to stop a bit of the bounce off the wooden table but it's, I've, I've found it's really nice to lean your yeah. elbows on. And often during the podcast, mm-hmm. I would just start rubbing the rug. It's quite comforting. <laughs> like, <laughs> so It's like a podcast security blanket. Right. It's like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> if you're Linus. But right. <laughs> I, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing where it, it's it's almost soothing. You know, as right. we're talking, we're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, it's like back to the womb. <laughs> yeah. now, tell me about your mother. I feel, I feel so much more comfortable now. It is <laughs> kind of funny, though, isn't it? Even the idea that like the, we're not in a studio. Like I no. know that people mm-hmm. do have their studios and yeah. at home out the back of my house, I have a space where mm-hmm. like I do the show, but mostly I've done this show on the road wherever. And like, you know, at, lately I've just been doing it here on the kitchen table with a blanket and right. that's, <laughs> and you know, there's people in like 
literally 70 or 80 countries in the world who listen to this podcast. That should be the name of your production company. Right. Kitchen Table with a Blanket. Kitchen Table with a Blanket. <laughs> I, my, the name of my production company, if I ever get to produce something in America, <laughs> I've thought about this already. Sworn Denial is the name because it's an anagram of Will Anderson. Oh, nice. Right, that's the... I've got to get my name in there somewhere, but I don't want it to be like... I'm like, it's nice. It was either that or Insane World. They're the only two good anagrams of Will Anderson that I could... <laughs> Well, that'll be for your art division. Right. Is, uh, oh, yeah. That's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. My, uh, no, that'll be for my offshore company yeah. where I'm actually funneling all the profits. Actually, that probably should be Swan Denial. An insane world will be. Swan Denial. Yeah, they're registered in the Bahamas. Are you yeah, paying tax? Paul Hogan gave me some advice. It's, it's all worked out well. Um, let's go back on where people can find you. They can find you uh, online. Yes, at chrisjmancinionline.com. Like the, uh, all the other itinerations of the name were taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, By Chris Mancini's who are answering a lot of questions about film that they yes. understand. <laughs> They're getting emails at law firms and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, a guy, yeah, a guy who's a lawyer is like, someone said they're pledging money to my Kickstarter. This is... That's, that's awesome. Now we can afford now we can, bail. Now we I, can remake the yeah. firm yeah <laughs> sorry the only the only law movie yeah. that came to my mind so do class action right well, so. well now we're going to do 13 yeah. angry men finally <laughs> finally and i'm on twitter uh, at chris j mancini and uh, as i was finding that uh, it's interesting the less i tweet the more followers i seem mm. to get so it's working in reverse yeah no i think it's that people just enjoy <laughs> the pauses between your jokes yes. that's why <laughs> makes perfect sense yeah i did that joke by the way on the other time when uh, we thought we were recording but it was yeah. out of <laughs> yeah. i was like i enjoyed that joke enough that i was gonna <laughs> fuck it chris has already heard it oh, but yeah, people no, at home I w- have it i know I, I wanted to hear it again uh but the big thing of course is earbuds the podcasting documentary on yes. kickstarter now firstly if you're listening to this and you love podcasts, it's going to be good for all podcasts. So if you want to support this podcast, you can A, buy the T-shirt for the anniversary, but B, I would encourage you to go online at least, very least, buy the movie. Right? Yes. Just That's the, the minimum one, just buy the movie. Because you like podcasts, you will want to see a documentary yeah. about podcasts. You will enjoy the movie. Right. <laughs> Secondly, uh, if there's someone out there who's like a corporate, you know, or who's listening, who has the best way for them to get the money for this podcast is if someone can put in 10 grand or if there's a couple of people who can put in 10 grand. Oh, my God, if there's someone out there who can put in 50 or 100 grand, you've got a company that's like, yeah, we want to like support something and these people are actually going to make a film. that Because, you know, here's the thing I'm going to say about this documentary. If it gets made, people will see it. Now, there's a lot of things that you know, when you're making these projects, all you're really saying is, we're going to get this made, right? And yes, the people who've bought a ticket to download it will see it. Yes. But I'm telling you about this, is you've got the best marketing network of all time because all the podcasts will want you to see, like it's going to be plugged on every podcast. Yes. People are going to see this movie. So you will get to be part of something that people will actually get to see. And it's if not going to flounder in some editing bay. It's, right. it's going to get made and it's going to get out there. Yeah. So if you're a company or whatever who thinks, you know, this is like a project that we would like to support, but we need to support something that we know people are going to get there out there and actually see, yeah. you know that, that this is going to be the yes. case. And you are going to get word of mouth that you could not buy from some of the biggest names, particularly in comedy in the world. Like, you know, you couldn't buy Mark Marin's plug 
of your no. business, but you, you, what you'll secretly be doing is buying his plug of your business when mm. he plugs the podcasting documentary or when I plug. I don't yeah. do commercials. When I do radio at home, I won't do live read commercials. But yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm going to plug the podcasting documentary. <laughs> so if there's a company out there, it's a smart way to kind of get in something which for, you know, is yeah, not a lot of money no, for the scale uh-uh. of what, you know. But particularly if you're just a person out there is like, you know what? I had like $10,000 that I wanted to donate this year to something supporting like, you know, something like this that's going to encourage. The thing that I'm saying is like, yes, you're supporting people to make a film. In some ways, you're you're supporting, you know, Chris and Graham to make their film. That's the first thing you're doing. And that's the like, you know, the A story, I guess. That's what you're doing. Yes. But B, you're supporting something that's going to give a lot of people in a lot of weird places a voice about their relationship with podcasting. But C, podcasting as a artistic art form is open to anyone. You're supporting an industry that if it becomes more popular has an entry level of somebody getting a microphone and recording in their computer and they can make something and it can go out to the world. So you're supporting the next generation of people to have the opportunity that like, you know, that they can start their own podcast. Somebody said to me, like, you know this from being one of the creators of the the LA Podcast Festival. Yeah. But a lot of people in the audience of that festival have their own podcast, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Someone was talking to me about that and they was like, oh, don't you think it's weird that everyone has a podcast now? And I was like, I don't know, like when music started, did it think that people think it was weird that everyone bought a guitar? Yeah. Is that that weird that everyone actually has a garage that might play some music in? (laughs) Right. It makes no fucking sense to me. Like, I bet half of the people who go and see Bruce Springsteen, like at you know, at some stage played a musical instrument or like sat at home and wished they Mm. were fucking Bruce Springsteen. And the best musicians in the world go love other musicians and talk about like And we're influenced by them. Right. Mm -hmm. I started playing guitar because, you know, dot dot dot, or because I went and saw this band or because i had this record or whatever there's a podcaster that's gonna come on board and um go right to the top because of the influence of like a mark maron or something and that's that's how it should work that's how art works right and so more broadly you're also supporting that that's what i want to say to people so if you're Mm -hmm. looking for like well why would i give the money to this rather than some other it's a i think in the broad scheme of opening up this area of no gatekeeper you know, exactly. art form. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of the rare things where there's generally no gatekeeper. Even the costs of it are not so... Like, I mean, if you wanted to do it really simply, you could do it really simply. Right. You can record straight into... But I've heard podcasts that are recorded on phones. Like sure. people record mm-hmm. their podcasts on their phone. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're supporting. I know that was a big speech. But well, I actually, Graham and I point. would like you to come on to every other podcast interview that we're doing and do that exact same pitch again. <laughs> right. I'll just give you that clip. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, luckily it was recorded on a separate file, so I'll just send you that and you can just edit it in yeah. at the end. <laughs> I have a dream, ladies and gentlemen, that one day... Um, We'd yeah. like to tell you about this podcast documentary, but first, here's Will Anderson. Right. <laughs> here's some words. Third-party endorsement is what they call that in the business. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm going to plug my things. This Sunday at the uh, House of Blues is my final LA gig for two months because I'm going home to tour. I'm on with Matt Kirsch and uh, Emery Emery and a bunch of other funny people at the House of Blues on Sunday night. So please come and see that. Voodoo comedy, I believe, is the name of the, the night. Um, thanks to everyone who came and saw me at ATC uh, uh, the other night at at Largo I wasn't actually meant to be on I just went down to have free beer 
and Al told me I could do a spot if I took one of the terrible beers out on stage and held it. So I did. <laughs> and uh, I mean, great beers. Old Milwaukee, hopefully soon to be sponsors of the ATC Comedy Network. Um, thank you to everyone at ATC for their constant support as well. But I um, wanted to mention my Australian tour because it starts in uh, less than three weeks now. Uh, Adelaide, I'm coming your way first. Uh, Willuminati uh, at the Garden of Unearthly Delights for two weeks. Then Brisbane Comedy Festival for a week. The Cheap Tuesdays nearly sold out. Uh, surprisingly enough, the, the Saturday and the Sunday are nearly sold out. So if you're in Brisbane, uh, please get in as quick as possible. I'm, I'm in Melbourne for the Melbourne Comedy Festival for a month. Again, the cheaper nights, the Tuesdays and the Sundays are selling out really quickly. So if you want to come on one of the cheaper nights, get in quick for that. And then uh, Sydney Comedy Festival, the Chatswood so- show sold out already. We added a second one in Chatswood. I've got two shows at the Enmore and they're nearly both full. They're the only two shows that I can do in May. I know May's a long way away and you're like, fuck, really? Do I have to book a ticket now for something in May? Um, you don't have to. But if you want to come, you might have to. That's what I'm, I'm basically saying. So thank you. Uh, you're not telling them to. You're making a recommendation. That's, you know, it feels like a weird thing to say, Chris, because like, <laughs> there's part of me that's like, you know, uh, just plug the fucking dates. And yeah. they, can, they can work out. But particularly with the people who listen to the podcast. And again, it goes back to this thing that we were thinking is, I'm not getting on Twitter saying these things. I'm not sending out an email to like my mailing list or whatever saying the cheap nights are selling out or if you want to come. Like in Adelaide, the first four nights are previews and I always mention that here because I'm like, I know there's some people who can't afford the Saturday night price right. and they listen to the podcast but they'd like to come out and see the show. Yeah. Uh, so I like to go, you know what? It's cheaper on Tuesdays. Yeah. If you want to fucking come on a Tuesday, <laughs> get in on a Tuesday. It's the same show. Yeah. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Like, you know... So, anyway, that's why I say it. Uh, so, anyway, thank you very much for listening, guys. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much, Chris, for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you.